If you're turning with me, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis. Somewhere in Genesis. Start up close to the beginning. Let's go Genesis 3. Give me just a second to get my life together. Genesis 3, verse 8. That's where I wanted to start. This is how I fight my battles. Are there any tornadoes out there? We good? Was it? All right. No, I got several phone calls and heard from people asking if we were still having church and had a message asking if we were, and I was like, yeah, I guess. I didn't I didn't know it was going to be that bad. <laughs> so I guess we're good. All right. Today, if you're turning with me, you can turn to Genesis 3, verse 8 is where I'm going to be starting. And I want to talk to you about something great. Isn't that good? Something great? I want to talk to you about the greatness that's inside of you. And I want to ask you a question because it's really up to you. But the question is, will the greatness that God placed on the inside of you? First of all, he placed greatness on the inside of every one of us. A call, a purpose, a calling. He called you his sons and his daughters. He paid the highest price to purchase you back because he wanted you so bad. But he's placed greatness inside of you, a purpose inside of you. But will you let it stay there? Will you live your life and die and the greatness never emerge? It never come out of you? It never, because that's a choice that you get to make. It, it doesn't just happen. As you know, every human that's born and lives and dies isn't great. That's why we have a few, the handfuls of superstars or great presidents or you can fill in the blank with great people or people that have done great things or Mother Teresa or people that, but it's not everybody. That greatness can just stay buried deep inside of you and never show. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 20, Matthew 20, 26, and then he says it again in Matthew 23, 11. Um, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, like if you want to be great in my Father's kingdom, then you must learn to be a servant of all. And we talked about that a couple of months ago, like how sometimes we get the wrong idea and we think, well, what Jesus meant was I need to serve until I get a chance to be great. Right? Like I need to clean the toilets until I get a chance to be the associate pastor. And that's not what Jesus was talking about. In fact, that's a completely wrong way of looking at it. We missed the whole point. What Jesus was trying to say that is in serving people and in fighting for humanity and, and standing up for what's right and in serving and laying down your life for other people is where your greatness will be realized. It's where you will find your greatness is in serving 
someone else. That's what Christianity is about. That's what Jesus came to show us. So in serving humanity or fighting for what's right, you will realize your greatness. And as you connect with others, you will do great things. We were designed for community. We were designed for relationship. We, we talk about that all the time. It always comes up. We are a community, a body, a church. Paul called us a body. And we need each other. And when we connect with each other and we look back on things like the most recent thing, the Raw for a Cause fight, as we came together as a community and built a tiny house and raffled off things and raffled off guns and all the way down to winning the fight, me and Joe, that was, if you weren't here last week, um, with the money that I got, that I took of Reese's purse and the money that Joe took of Jason's purse, we were right around 44000 I think, with theirs. So there was the total, and then there was the money we took from them. So best I can figure it. My calculator, I'm not the greatest at math. Thanks, Mom. But, no. <laughs> Hashtag homeschool. Close to 44,000. I had the potential to be great in math. It was never called out of me. <laughs> um, speaking of that, I was going to write a book, but then I decided not to. But if I did write the book, I decided what the book would be called, and I actually wrote down what the chapters would be. So I thought I'd share that with you guys. My, my book was going to be called How to Do Something Great. And chapter one, the whole entire chapter, chapter one, is going to be titled, Try. There 90% of people never try. Never try to do something great. Because you've been hurt, because you're afraid of failure, because you're not qualified, because you don't have the money. There's plenty of excuses. In fact, every great person or everyone that's ever done something great or realized the greatness on the inside of them wasn't just perfectly set up and handed everything they need. Go look at any story you want to. So chapter one was try. Chapter two, as you can tell, I put a lot of thought into this book that I'm not writing. All right. Chapter two is learn. Simply learn. Because guess what? When you try, you're not going to succeed every time. You're going to get defeated. You're going to fail. That's part of it. So chapter 2 would be learn and talk to you about the importance of learning mentally. What, what did I do wrong? How could I be better? How could I grow? What do I, You learn. But then chapter 3, I would put it right after chapter 2 because that's how I do it. Pretty smart, huh? So chapter 3 would come right after chapter 2, like immediately, and it would be called grow. Because even if I learn what I did wrong, and I know what I did wrong, and I figure it out, why I got defeated or why I failed. See, this happened in the fight. The first year that I fought and brought for a cause, when I fought Brian and lost, I learned. I took responsibility and realized it was my fault that I lost. 
I didn't hold up my hands. I turned my back on him. I figured out all the things that I did wrong and what I needed to work on and the areas that I need to be stronger in. But then if I did nothing to change that and didn't get more sparring in, didn't practice holding my hands up, didn't grow physically and mentally, I'd have lost the second time I tried too. So you have to learn, grow, and then chapter four, try again. Chapter five is try again. Chapter six, try again. Chapter seven, try again. Learn, grow, try again. How to do something great. You got to try. Jesus said, you want to be great? Start serving somebody. Find somebody in your world that you can make their life better. Be a servant of all. Find somebody that's being wronged and step in and fight for them. Be God to your world. Let them see him in you. You got to take risk. You got to try. Big love equals big sacrifice. A warrior or a leader must own defeat. You have to learn to own defeat. You learn, you grow. And you try again. I'm sure you've heard every action has a reaction. And I wish I had this example just came to me. And uh, I wish I had a basketball. Anybody have a basketball? How convenient. Malachi happens to be holding a basketball. <laughs> Throw it to me. All right. Look alive, people, especially those of you on the front row. Don't be holding coffee or phones. Okay. <laughs> As you can tell by looking at me, I'm probably not that good at basketball. Right? Okay. So if every action has a reaction. So... If I throw this ball at, say, RJ, his reaction to me throwing the ball at him was to calmly lift up his hands and catch the ball. Okay, throw it back. Now, other people will have a different reaction. If I were to throw it at, like, what if I throw it, like, really hard at Journey? journey somebody every action has a reaction so when I throw it at mom she did pretty good not as comfortable as RJ but she's had kids throwing stuff at her her whole life so she's used to stuff flying at her and being able to defend herself and stay safe See, that time it went right over mom's head. So she reacted, but Malachi also reacted, and he's the one that caught it, even though the thing that came at her never hit her. But there's still a reaction. Now, if... Here, we'll stop with this before. Now, what if you weren't paying attention? What if I, like, looked over there at Hunter, 
and I threw it real hard at the side of Kelly's head. There's going to be a reaction there too, right? But it's, it's going to be a lot different reaction than I got out of RJ when I kind of let him know it was coming and looked at him and threw it to him. Right? In life, sometimes we're going to react to things. Sometimes we get hit upside the head and we weren't looking for it. And sometimes we're prepared for it. We do well with the ball that's flying at us. We, we catch it. We throw it back. We, we do what we're supposed to do. You can train yourself how to react. In fact, we do whether we know it or not. Your life, you're training yourself to react. And we talked about this two weeks ago. Nadia talked last week. So the week before, remember we talked about SSP in your brain and it's the thing in your brain that decides what's important and what's not important and your hand-eye coordination and all that stuff. It's kind of the same thing. You're training yourself to react. What's important? Oh, here comes a ball flying at my head. Now what will I do? Do I have confidence to catch that ball? Or am I going to cover up just so it doesn't hurt me? Or do I turn away from that ball? You train yourself how to react. Now, when me and Jesse got married, if I threw a ball at her, her reaction was not good. And so what I do? Kept throwing balls at her. Had three boys that would help throw balls at her. But like, I guess, apparently, I don't know, Dylan was pretty young in the house, but maybe she had never really had a lot of balls thrown at her because she didn't really know how to react well to it. She kind of like panic, like she wasn't confident that she could catch it. She like, guess what? I almost threw it up there at her right now, but there's a lot of sound equipment up there and stuff, but I'm confident that she would calmly catch it, throw it right back. Why? Because we've been throwing stuff at her for years pretty hard (laughs) and she's trained herself how to react when a ball is flying at her not to panic not to run in fear not to get hurt not to just take the pain and get tough (laughs) but how to react (laughs) to that ball flying at her we also do a thing at our house that we made up called Pro Shot. And that's it. You just take any type of ball. It can be a football, basketball, baseball, tennis ball, anything. And you throw it at another member of the family. And you throw it in a way that it would it's possible to catch, but it would be really hard to catch. And as you throw it, you just say Pro Shot. And meaning if they catch it, they got a chance to go pro in that sport. We've played this game for years, and that's why oh, I feel like we all have pretty good hand-eye coordination. This guy's turned out to be a pretty good ball player because of it, I think. But you just chunk it at them. What, are, what have we done? Trained ourselves to react. Because at first, it just hits people. Still does sometimes, especially when I'm tired. It's really annoying when I walk through my living room and I hear, Pro shot! Poof! 
<laughs> Not today. <laughs> sometimes you get hit in the face, and sometimes you lose the fight. You will taste defeat or blood, whatever. <laughs> and you train yourself how you will react to that. To a loss, to defeat, to whatever life throws your way. Your reaction can be anger or fear. It can be depression or disappointment. It can a lot of times be blame. We like to blame everything and everyone rather than owning it and taking responsibility. We want to blame everybody else. And that's really hard because a lot of times it's not our fault. Like we we're right in blaming someone else because it was their fault. Like they hit me in the face with it. So why can't I blame them? And now I'm getting ahead of myself. I wanted to read some scripture before I talked about this. So just think about that for a minute. When defeat happens, what is your reaction? Just think about it. You don't have to yell it out. When you're defeated, when you're down, when you lose, what, what's, your, what's your automatic reaction? What have you trained yourself? How have you trained yourself to respond? Is it fear, disappointment, or anger? Is it, do you start blaming other people? Or another way I could say it is, what fruit's on your tree? Remember the fruit of the Spirit that we're all supposed to have? Love, joy, peace. So when you get defeated, do you have peace? Can you still have joy? Or no? If you don't like the fruit, check the root. Newsflash. The people that you are in relationship with or connected to, they help you develop your reaction. And that whole little story I just told you about Jesse and the boys and how Jesse's reaction to balls getting thrown at her wasn't good, now it is good, and how we help each other develop. The same is true in the spirit and in the body and in the people that you're around, the people that you make relationships with, the people that you choose to do life with, they help you to develop your reactions. You're around a bunch of angry people that lose their temper every time something bad happens, every time defeat hits, they, they just lose it. Guess what? They're teaching you. They're helping you learn how to react. good or bad see it works if you're around a bunch of people that react good that's a good thing can help you if you're around a bunch of people that have the wrong reaction or run to something to cover it up or it's a bad thing that's why it's so important to spend time with God every day 
It was said in 20 different ways, but to have a devotion, to spend quiet time with God, to pray, to spend time in the Word, to, to spend time. Because when you spend time with God, just like I just talked about with your human connections, when you're spending time with God, and you learn how to react like Him, you start to react with the fruit of the Spirit. So when you're defeated or when something hits you that you didn't see coming, when the ball hits you in the side of the head, you don't automatically react in anger or automatically have to run to a substance to get by or because you've been spending so much time with Him that all of a sudden you react with peace. It's okay. What do I need to learn? How can I grow? God, what, what are you doing? And you can see God's hand in that situation. But it's so important to spend that time with Him. Then no matter what happens, you can react with peace, joy, hope, courage, strength. Remember the joy of the Lord is our strength. You can react with strength. But naturally, in our nature, in this sin nature, when we fail or mess up, when we lose or we face defeat, we automatically want to blame someone and not take responsibility. Who started that? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're about to look at it. Genesis 3, verse 8. Let's see who started the blame game. Remember, God made a perfect world and put Adam and Eve in paradise. And he even started out with just Adam. And then he said, no, it's not good for him to be alone. So he made Eve the perfect woman. And they were both, had everything they needed. They had food and this just a wonderful environment. They walked with God every evening and everything was good. And he told them, look, just one thing, just don't eat off of that tree over there. That's it. Well, they couldn't pull that off, right? They messed up, did it wrong. And uh, Eve went and she talked to the snake and y'all know the story. She brought the fruit. She gave it to Adam. Adam ate the fruit. They're both running and hiding. And verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and he said unto him. Where art thou? It's like playing with a little kid. God knew where they were. They weren't hiding behind a tree. God's like, Adam, where are you? He knew what they did. He knew where they were hiding. He knew what was going on. Well, what's he doing? He's trying to get them to realize And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? See, God already knows, but he wants them to realize why they feel this way. 
on sin brings guilt and shame and makes you feel we're naked we're hiding we we did what we weren't supposed to do and god already knows he just he wanted them to realize hey this is why you're feeling this way god said oh i wonder why you feel that way did you eat the tree did you sin did you do wrong it's like we would do with a little child I wonder why your belly's hurting. Did you eat all those 12 snack cakes? That's what God's doing with them. Look at verse 12. And the man said, Yeah, I did. You put me here and you gave me the power to name the animals and you gave me a perfect world. And you saw every need that I had and you gave me a perfect woman to be my wife and my helpmate. And, and, and I messed that up. And I'm sorry. I don't want to lose relationship with you. Please don't hold this against her. Don't hold it even against the snake or any animal or anything that was involved. It's my fault. You created me here and I let you down and I'm sorry. I think things would have played out a lot different. But Adam didn't say that. And here we are a few thousand years later, and men still aren't saying that. Uh, Look what Adam did say. And the man said, "The, uh, The woman, the woman whom thou gavest um, to be with me, um, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. There's only three of us here. There's two, us two humans, and there's God. And Adam blamed the only other two besides himself for this defeat, this failure, this wrong. It was her, and it was her, and the woman that you gave to me. So you gave her to me, and she made me mess up. Took no responsibility for the wrong. So then, God looks at the woman in verse 13, and the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that thou hast done? Now God will give her a chance. She said, Look, I, I'm sorry. You, you pulled out one of his ribs and you made me, and I'm supposed to be his helpmate and walk along beside him. And I was off talking to something, listening to voices that I never should have listened to. I was listening to a snake and and I let him deceive me and I was wrong. So I'm sorry. It's not Adam's fault. I'm sorry. If you need to punish somebody, just punish me. If the penalty is death, then, then I'll die. Because it was my fault. Nope. Not what she said. And the woman said, the, uh, the, God, Adam threw me under the bus. She's thinking in her mind, Adam threw me under the bus. Uh, and he already said it wasn't him. I can't blame him. What else? What's that? There's not even, there's no other humans alive. The serpent beguiled me. And I did eat. It was the serpent. It was his fault. He's why. And so I, I just had to eat it. I couldn't help it. 
But isn't that what we do? Whenever God calls us out, you notice how God always comes to talk to you when you're, they were naked or ashamed, they weren't ready to talk to God. Seems like that's when God calls us out. Comes to us, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I don't want to talk to you right now. Leave me alone. And we want to start pointing fingers. But that's the way straight into death. There's no greatness in that. There's no healing or hope in blaming other people. If you turn the page to uh, Genesis chapter 4, um, we know what happens. They get, they get kicked out of the garden and, and they have kids. They have two boys. They have Cain and Abel. And a lot of us have, you probably know the story of Cain and Abel, but um, Abel was a farmer, keeper of the sheep. And Cain grew vegetables, and he, he was uh, plowed the ground. So he did the fruit, and his brother did the animals, and they brought an offering to God. And the one brought his nice fat sheep, choice sheep, and the other one brought the vegetables, and they came to God, and look what happened. Chapter 4. Um, verse 3, and in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect and Cain was very wroth or mad, and his countenance fell. That's where it started. His countenance, his appearance, he lost his joy. He was upset. He was mad. He was angry because God accepted his brother's sacrifice, and God respected his brother, and God didn't respect him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why are you mad? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou dost well, shalt, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou dost not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Think about that verse we just read. I don't know that I've ever really paid attention to that. We just kind of read through it and he killed him and then God comes back and tells him what's going to happen to you and all that stuff. But then as I read over that, that hit me that God's trying to have a conversation with Cain and, and be like, look, if you do it right, things will be okay. Why are you mad? This anger or this sin is crouching. It wants to jump on you. It wants to attack you. Hold on, let's read on. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he slew him. He didn't do a very good job about getting his anger under control. 
God's sitting there talking to him like, you need to calm down, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden here, he just goes out, talks to his brother, and goes out in the field and kills him. It's the first act of violence that we have recorded from one man to another. It's the first person to ever kill a human. It, it's unnecessary roughness. He killed his brother. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, but I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, I'm not his babysitter. And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. That's a creepy line. You know that every hateful thought in your mind, when you choose to get angry and you choose to hate, it leads to murder. Sin starts in your mind. But Jesus said that if you hate somebody in your heart, then you've killed them. It's the same as murder. If you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery, Jesus said. In your heart, the heart, the core of a man. Your heart or your core was created to give and receive love. Remember? In His image, like God. Here's a question to ask yourself. Why are you angry or upset? Why are you fearful? Why are you lustful? Why are you empty? Why are you disappointed? If you are. And then here's an answer. Because I'm looking to a human to get what I need. Whenever we're looking to people to give us what we need or to fill us, eventually we're going to be let down. When I'm looking to a thing, an event, a circum, a, a person, when I'm looking to any of that to fill me up, to satisfy me, to make me whole, to give me peace, to give me my hope, my joy, it can only last for so long. People are meant to be a conduit to send the power or the love through them. But if I'm looking to you to give me what I need, if I'm looking to Jesse to give me everything that I need, then eventually I'm going to be let down. And I won't be able to handle that defeat. If you're a taker or a user, you're not willing to bring anything to the table. It's just always about what can I get? What's in it for me? What? Then your reaction is probably not going to be what it needs to be. I want to read you um, the verse we just read, verses 6 and 7, where God was talking to Cain before he killed his brother. I'm going to read that to you in the Message Bible. Just It's short. Just those two verses. 
And I'm going to read it to you in, a, in the NIV. God spoke to Cain. Why this tantrum? Why the sulking? If you do well, won't you be, won't you be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is lying in wait for you, ready to pounce. It's out to get you. You've got to master it. He said, Cain, look, there's this sin in you, this anger in you. It's going to be destructive. It's already taken your joy. You're already mad about it. Your countenance has already fallen. It's, it's already getting you. I can see it in your mind. But you've got to master it. Or it's going to be really bad. Because God knew it was going to separate him. It was, he was going to end up committing murder. But then he would be forced to live out. Go and read the curse. That he had to go live out the rest of his life separated from his family. God's telling him, look, Cain, you got to master it. Look at, uh, you got to master it or you got to own it. Take responsibility for it. NIV says it like this. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? What's wrong with your face? I can look at you and tell you're, you're not good. God's trying to get through to him. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. You've got to master it. God was telling him, you've got to take control of this or it will take control of you. If you want to experience the greatness that God has placed on the inside of you, you've got to own it. You've got to take responsibility for defeat. You must master it or own it, God told him. He messed up, and he let it go so far. I bet he would take it back if he could. And as I was thinking about that and reading that story, I was thinking about that, how he got mad at God, and he killed his brother. And how many times, if we're honest... Do we do that? Somebody gets up and walks out on one of your church services and you get angry. <laughs> Love you too, Zach. See ya. <laughs> he got mad at God and then he turned around and killed his brother. You know, the reason that we hurt each other, I believe, is a result of our brokenness with God. The reason that I would harm another human or hurt my fellow man is because something's not right with me and God. I'm, I'm angry with God. I'm messed up. My brokenness, I've, I've not found healing in the relationship. You know the number one reason that people don't believe in God? 
You can go look it up and Google it. And I've had people say it to me plenty of times. Uh, but the number one reason that people will say they're an atheist or an agnostic or whatever for reason they don't believe in God, here's, here's the number one reason. It's because of all the bad things that have happened to them in their life. Or some people say because bad things happen to good people. That's the number one reason. So, you don't believe that God exists because of all the bad things that happen. If there is no God, then he can't be responsible for all the bad things, right? Right. So, if he's not responsible for all the bad things that have happened in your life, then you could possibly believe in him, right? No. I don't believe in him because of all the bad things that have happened. What? That makes no sense. So, you know he doesn't exist, and you hold him accountable for your life. broken there's something wrong there we want to deflect responsibility we want someone or something to blame for our defeats for stuff that's happened to us and that's where I started to talk about a few minutes ago I waited because for lots of us And I know for a lot of you, there's real pain. There are real defeats. There are real things that have happened in your life that hurt. That aren't fair. That you didn't choose. That I'm not making light of anyone's situation or any abuse or pain or stuff that you've been through. Because we've been through stuff that hurts. We've been through things that that we didn't choose where we can rightfully blame somebody. There's somebody to put the blame on. The problem is, if you play the blame game, then you're going to create a pattern, a reaction, and you'll spend your whole life blaming. You'll blame your boss for why your job is horrible. You'll blame the government for problems that you have. You'll blame your abuser. You'll blame your skin color. You'll blame your family. You'll blame your background. You'll blame religion. You'll blame, you just, you set up a pattern of blame. Well, this is why that's not working, and that's why this isn't working, and I don't have what I need for that, and this and that. You know people like that. Look at somebody in the room that's like that and tell them, you know, he's talking to you. No, don't do that. (laughs) Please don't do that. (laughs) Now, and we are offering marriage counseling. Anybody needs it after that? (laughs) But here's the hard truth. If you want to find healing... You want to be great. You want that greatness to come out of you. You want, you want to find healing for your brokenness. Then you must realize that it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility.
the defeat may not be your fault, but it's on you. That's why it's so important to forgive. We have to forgive. It's not hurting the person that we're holding something against. It's hurting you. It's holding you back from your greatness, from your purpose, from what God's placed inside of you. When you choose not to forgive, you're, you're not hurting the other person. Most of the time, they don't even know you're still holding it. You have to forgive. Because you holding unforgiveness against somebody else, that's just you blaming them for your pain, for your hurt. That's you wanting them to pay, to have to pay the price. Now, I'm happy to let Jesus' blood take care of all the wrongs that I've ever done, but I'd like some other people to pay for some of theirs. That sounds ridiculous, but isn't that kind of how we are? Oh, yeah, he can, I can find, I want forgiveness for everything that I do. But she should pay for what she did. That's, that's ridiculous. We have to forgive. Well, we don't have to, but we can live little small lives and never do anything great and never impact the kingdom and never be a servant of all like Jesus talked about because we're walking around with this bitterness and this unforgiveness and we you got to forgive. No, maybe it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. You must forgive or your defeat will own you. It will. It'll constantly be coming up. Your defeat, your, your failure, your time of hurt, pain, your abuse, whatever, we can all probably fill in different stories or different, I'm saying defeat, but you're, it will own you. It will control you. And it will cause you to react to other things in a not healthy way, in a toxic way. Your reaction will be affected because defeat owns you. Now, the warrior knows that he must own defeat so that it can never own him. Who and what do you allow to have ownership in your head? You ever heard like, they say it a lot in sports, like he was in his head. Oh, he really got in his head. And then what happens? Like, if I'm playing a sport against Malachi and I get in Malachi's head, Malachi's not performing to the best of his ability means I'm probably going to beat him mentally. It's across the board. And uh, I heard, why can I not think of his name? George Foreman. George Foreman was giving an interview about the rumble in the jungle where he fought Muhammad Ali. George Foreman went to Africa for the rumble in the jungle, and he had two titles and he went to go fight Muhammad Ali. And so they're interviewing him. And those of you that don't know what happened, uh, Muhammad Ali knocked George Foreman out in, I think, the eighth round. 
Uh, Muhammad Ali knocked him out, though. It was a huge upset and took his title. And so when they were interviewing George Foreman about it, they said, well, what happened? And uh, George Foreman said, well, I went in there thinking I just knocked this kid out. I was going to knock him out in either the first or the second round. And that's what I trained for was to knock him out. And he said he was talking all kind of trash. He wasn't even scared and talking all kind of junk to me. And he said in the third round, he finally opened himself up and I hit him with everything I had, the best combos I had, and I landed them good, solid, hard. And he fell on my chest. And I thought to myself, I got him. And he said he lifted up his head off my chest. And he said, is that all you got, George? Is that all you got, George? And he said, right then, he got in my head. And that was in the third round, and he didn't knock me out till the eighth round, but he won. That's when he won the fight. Because he got in my head. I allowed him to get in there with his, with his confidence and with running that mouth, and that's when I lost the fight. What voices do you allow in your head? What are you allowed to get in your head? Who are you surrounded with? What, what is it that you're feeding in there? It's important. Now, last week at, um, at Brawl for a Cause of the fight, it was just really cool that, like, Joe's fight wasn't even close. Joe just destroyed his guy. Okay, and it was just awesome. And we're all fighting for the same cause. And they had Joe, Bruce, uh, Joe, me, and Bruce clumped right together. If you didn't get to see it, and we're all three fighting for House of Cherith, and we're in the back, and and I'm saying I say like let's get three wins, three wins in a row. We're all wins for three wins for House of Cherith, like no defeats today. And Joe goes out and took care of his guy, and then it's like uh oh, now it's my time. Pressure's on. I go out. I won by unanimous decision, and it was like the greatest feeling to come back and feel like you've grown and just won and took some of his money for the cause and now it's on Bruce and Bruce came out strong and throwing punches and we were like yes we might get a third win and then Bruce got beat they had to call the fight and he ended up he broke his foot and his face got busted up he was bleeding a little bit and he fell the first time and got kind of twisted up and it, it broke his foot so then he was trying to fight with a broke foot and he was telling him I want to keep going and the and uh they finally just called the fight, right? And I went, I went in the locker room to check on him, and he said, he's fine. I'm okay. Sorry. Sorry I didn't get the third win. You and Joe did y'all's part, and I didn't. And I'm like, that don't. And so I was thinking about Bruce and, and praying for him, and he went to the hospital and went to the emergency room that night, and and. You know, I had checked on him a couple times. He said, yeah, it's broken. And then, I don't know, a couple days after, I guess Monday or Tuesday, I sent him a message and said, hey, how are you? And he sent back all the information about his foot. Head's fine. My foot, uh, multiple broken bones on top of my foot, severe ankle sprain, uh, going to want put me in a boot. I'm on crutches right now, blah, blah, blah going to be fine could have been a lot worse I sent back Bruce how are you mentally 
because you got defeated. And I said, I know how it feels. That's a really tough pill to swallow. That's hard. You can say what you want to say, and we all won because it was all for a great cause, and it was all charity, but when you're competitive, which I know he is, extremely competitive, that's not an easy pill to swallow. And so I sent him that, and he sent me back a big message that said that he was in in California, so he couldn't talk. He was there speaking, but so he couldn't really talk, but that he can't wait to get back. And he wants to meet with me and talk to me about some stuff that God did, and he preached that next morning, and that it was so powerful, and that God used the fight to speak this powerful word that he wants to talk to me about. I hadn't gotten to meet with him and talk about this powerful word that he spoke but um he said the loss was disappointing yes and something i had to deal with but um i'm trying to think how he how he worded it but what needed to happen last night happened and i'm at peace with it So I said, okay, good. And as I thought about this message, I thought, that's somebody that's learned and is mature enough to own their defeat. To say, hey, he beat me. That's not what I wanted. It's not what I was training for. That's not the outcome that I was looking for. But guess what? I'm going to let God use it. And I'll preach about it, and I'll use it as an example, and I'll, I'm at peace. I'm not going to panic or lose it. So we have to own, own it, learn from it, grow, and try again. God took the blame for us. Ultimately, when he did nothing wrong, he sent Jesus. We'll get to talk about that next week in Easter. And, but how we always want to blame everybody. God was perfect. There was no blame to cast on him. And yet he said, I, I'll put myself in human form and I'll come down and take the punishment. I'll take the blame for y'all so that y'all can be my family I was going to turn to some other scriptures but I think we'll wait let's pray God thank you God thank you for giving us the ability for giving us the power to create for placing greatness and callings purposes inside of us God we want to walk in strength we want your strength to flow through us God help us to forgive Help us to release forgiveness to everyone 
that has hurt us or wronged us. God, help us to react in a way that's honoring to you. Help us to react with joy and peace and hope, with strength in every situation. God, give us the courage to stand up and fight for what's right. Give us the courage to try, even when we've fallen down in the past. God, today we own our defeat. The times that we've messed up, the times that we've lost, the times that we've fallen down. So that we can find healing and keep moving forward. It won't stop us. It'll just make us better. God, thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for teaching us and growing us. Thanks for loving us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.